don't need him. Lord knows I don't need him. Telling me I can see him, but I never need him. Listen close to my leader. They tell me that they need me, but they trying to deceive me. I'm free now, please leave me. I'm taking my freedom now. I'm living in freedom now. I'm taking my freedom now. I'm taking my freedom now. I'm taking my freedom back. I'm taking my freedom back. I'm living in freedom now. Hey. Good morning, good night, good evening. I just hope it's good wherever you are and welcome back to Inquisitive Mind. And we are happy to be here. Um, this introduction will be short and sweet. First of all, I'd like to say good night and blessings. And it's not season's greetings yet, but it's coming up just now. Blessings to my partner, Aaron868, the DJ, the extraordinaire himself. How are you doing tonight or this evening or this morning or wherever you are, sir? How are you doing? <laughs> Um, I cool and I can't complain at all, at all, at all. Um, fighting the heat, boy. Oh gosh, this heat is ridiculous. Ooh, I don't know. Yeah. But I hope you, I hope you're trying to keep cool too. It's not easy. Drink your water. Stay, drink your juice. Staying hydrated. Staying hydrated. And More water than juice, though. Come on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, yeah, 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 yeah. More water than juice for real. And I'll use the opportunity as well to introduce my brother in philosophy. What's up, Cardo? How are you doing, Mr. Ricardo Mitchell? Sorry, I'm not just yeah, I, formally first. I appreciate that, sir. I, I am, I would say great like her, I think cool, slow, but I ain't feeling so great this last round. Um, ah, one, the place is a tad warm, you know, for those who dispute in climate change. Well, anyway, the, the proof in the pudding, or legacy for yourself. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, um more water than juice. I thought that was a reflection on the budget, but I ain't looking to go down that road either. Right? <laughs> so I just want to be another up. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> right. so I just want to thank you all for um, taking the time to have a little conversation with us this evening. I want to welcome two very special guests. One is that Aaron as Mr. Snuggles are seen in the corner there. Yeah. Yeah, nice man. Good, good, good. Good to have him on board. Yeah, your emotional support snuggle. Right. And well <laughs> I will hand back over to Brendan to properly introduce the demand of the hour. Yes, and I want to take this opportunity to welcome back. Anthony will be a part of our first segment. It's an Anthony Zamore. Now, if you would have been following us, you would have listened to that last episode that we did on mm-hmm. AI. Uh, big data revolution and tech and how is that going to impact us in Trinidad and Tobago and we want to dive a little bit uh, down the rabbit hole but I want to kick off by you know sharing a little update with everybody on me personally you know normally when we host this podcast we don't like to be the center of the discussion but it's so poignant part of the reason why you probably didn't hear from us and it's mostly my fault is because I have been trying my best to run down on an initiative that came up recently and it was partly inspired by this podcast where we started to see the benefits of technology, data science, data analytics, big data to help improve things at my job. This has taken so much root in terms of looking at machine learning, artificial intelligence and all those other important technologies and software systems that my organization is 
starting a new department that will be leveraging these things for the energy transition and i'll be one of the persons leading the department so the discussion has become my job gentlemen i i listen i would have never thought a few weeks ago that this would or a few months ago that this would have been part of the discussion so this has now been this is more than just the great conversation this is the walk the work that we had to do you know so anthony i want to say thanks for being back with us and um anything you want to tell us when you're at neck of the woods um well you're welcome thanks for having me and congratulations on position and opportunity i mean from my perspective not much has changed since we last spoke um still working hard still trying to be positive still yeah. living life you know yes god is good man i like that i like that wait so i want to kick things off by continuing the conversation we was having just now because I, i i love i love the trajectory and we were talking and we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence machine learning big data revolution the fourth industrial revolution we have all the acronyms right but i really i love the fact that you you are looking at this through two lenses one mm-hmm. is from the technology side and the other is business and finance and i think there's a beautiful opportunity to talk about that because that is all our lives whether we interact with the financial system or not whether we think we don't but we actually do and decisions made at that level impacts us today directly yes. uh, whether we are aware of it or not and i think that conversation is important and i love the fact that we were talking about the whole idea of what is money and the argument around the whole money system and the money supply and what does layered on top of this now we talking about digital currency and then layered on top of the digital currency you have technologies such as artificial intelligence that offers much more processing power that's available mm-hmm. that make anything complex and i know it's a little bit of a long intro but i want to give you a long runway to kind of can i bring us in your world help us to kind of layer it to start thinking oh. about it for the discussion yeah okay so let's start um let's start from a historical perspective so yeah. i'm a student of uh, history first and foremost so historically uh, where we want to end up in the discussion is where the monetary system is today and how that interacts with an AI or digital economy. And when we explore that, we'll go into crypto, we'll go into digital currencies and whatnot. But I think we need relevant context and background. For the background, we could start historically. Historically, in terms of trying to understand the monetary system um, that we use today that impacts all our lives. So from a historical standpoint, um the money that we use today is what is referred to as fiat money or fiat currency fiat currency means issued by the state by decree the state says that these paper bills is money so the population uses the paper bills as money right it's legal tender um the concept of fiat money is something that goes back centuries Fiat money was first invented by the Song Dynasty in China many centuries ago. 
in its modern iteration, fiat currency is mainly a 20th century convention. Now, prior to the 1900s, prior to World War I and World War II, all currencies globally were backed by gold, right? And the pound was the dominant currency in the early 1900s. In World War I and during World War II, these currencies, global currencies, the Swiss francs, um, Deutschmarks, um, the pound, the dollar, they all came off of the gold standard. The reason why they came off of the gold standard and what I mean by coming off of the gold standard is they were no longer backed by gold, right? So uh, the reason why they came out of the gold standard was primarily to do with um, funding World War I and World War II. So the powers at the time, the major global powers, they needed to fund these wars was a very costly endeavors for any government. So in order to fund the wars, they needed money. There was two ways to raise the money required to fund the war. They could go to the citizens and say, hey guys, we need to fight this war, so you need to pay taxes, all right? Which they did, all right? So the um, British government at the time issued war bonds which nobody really bought, right? <laughs> so eventually they needed to fund this war. So they temporarily came off the gold standard, printed money, ran up huge debts during World War I, continued during World War II. And at the end of World War II, the world was in a state of transition. So we needed collectively as a globe to decide what is going to be the monetary standard going forward because we since came off of the gold standard. So 1944, you had the Bretton Woods Agreement. The Bretton Woods Agreement was simply an agreement that said that all global currencies would be backed by US dollars and US dollars would be backed by gold. So some level of stability was maintained, yeah? Gold, historically, was the anchor for these currencies. It kept the currencies relatively stable. It was a check on governments inflating the money supply, printing more money, issuing new money. Bretton Woods Agreement, um, during Bretton Woods, there were two competing or two decisions or two choices that needed to be made in terms of the new monetary order. The first choice was the one that I described, which eventually was the decision that was made, which is US dollars would back all currencies and US dollars would be backed by gold, gold to be held in Fort Knox. The second option was an option that, the option was what was referred to as the Bancor system. The Bancor system was a basket of, global currencies that would back all individual currencies that was never selected um today you see a version of that coming up with i don't know if you're following what's going on with the BRICS nations and their drive to um, implement a new currency so you have a version of that uh, arising once more 
Now, between 1944 and 1971, everything was copacetic in the currency landscape, right? Or it seemed that way. In 1971, something significant happened. Um, Nixon, President Nixon in the U.S., said that the U.S. is off of the gold standard. So the U.S. would not back their currency by gold anymore, right? This started the petrodollar era. In the petrodollar era, the U.S. got into an agreement with Saudi Arabia and Saudi largest oil producer decided we will sell our oil for dollars so that created a natural demand for dollars so that's the modern monetary era that we live in money that isn't backed by anything the u.s dollar being the global reserve currency the demand for the u.s dollar is contingent on energy being priced in U.S. dollars, which creates a natural demand for U.S. dollars. Now, enter 2008, Bitcoin White Paper, published by Satoshi Nakamoto. And January 2009, the implementation of the Bitcoin protocol. Bitcoin was significant in that, for the first time in history, you had a monetary system that was that did not rely on a third party right a digital monetary system that didn't rely on third party trust now what do i mean by that so we we discuss traditionally fiat currencies were backed by gold right the issue with that is you needed a third party to custody the gold and issue dollars initially certificates based on the gold. And those parties were ultimately or became ultimately banks, right? Um, Bitcoin solved the problem of needing a third party trusted intermediary. And it solved that by using cryptography. So we're in the age of cryptocurrencies backed by cryptography. We don't need third parties anymore, right? So in the cryptocurrency era, we have for the first time in digital money that is native to the internet. Now, running kind of parallel with that development, at least over the last few years with the advances in artificial intelligence. We're entering a world where inevitably artificial intelligence will lead to, or these large language models would lead to the development of AI agents that would be able to operate autonomously on the internet and transact. What do I mean by that? Imagine, so chat GPT, right, which everybody is familiar with. Chat GPT is, or OpenAI is building out plugins for chat GPT. These plugins would be, would give chat GPT the ability to reach out to other applications on the internet and do 
various things. For example, if I ask a future version of ChatGPT to book a flight for me, that future version would reach out to Expedia via an Expedia agent and book the flight for me. All right. So a personal assistant who could perform economic transactions. Those types of economic transactions by an AI agent cannot be done using credit cards because it's inefficient. AI don't use credit cards and there are natural security barriers to things like that. The, what would be more natural to AI in that scenario is to tie these agents to a digital wallet, like a cryptocurrency wallet, a Bitcoin wallet to transact directly. So we're entering the post petrodollar era where you'll have intelligent economic agents acting autonomously. So running parallel to the human economy, you'll have a machine economy. So uh, in brief, that is, in a way, how we landed where we are. So that is my description of our place in this economic world. Wow. I, I don't know what to say, boy. Is, I mean, I'll let one of the guys come in first. I have, I have a couple of comments inside of there, but since I asked you for this question, I'll let you all go ahead. So I, I personally don't think we should record any more episodes of Inquisitive Minds unless Anthony are available, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could do this all day. Oh, Dante. All right, I could do this all day, all right? Last week. Now, again, I have a little bit averse to the impact, you know, the unchecked impact of AI developing and its applications, right? There are huge ethical concerns uh, in terms of the gatekeeping I get it but 3 o'clock in the morning I was downloading a digital wallet to my phone so that I could make purchases at a cafe I like the idea of being able to buy brunch I wanted to be able to buy brunch when I didn't have cash on hand or money in the bank I have money in my credit card but the ease of scanner barcode versus mm-hmm. putting in the information, security code, skimming, etc., etc., etc. I say, let me get this thing a check. Now, for somebody who last episode was completely averse to the role that AI and digital technology would have, I got a digital wallet so I could have chicken and waffles. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized that there was an inevitability about how much this was going to be integrated in our lives because one it would have been more inconvenient to avoid it or to resist it and two you would have seen its growth and its applications and in this case i didn't want to be a whale oil salesman i didn't want to be relying on blubber to light my street lights i didn't want to (laughs) i I, it, it didn't make sense and then when you see lines outside of ATMs, when every three months somebody have to replace a credit card because of some form of skimming or fraud or um, cyber attack or another, I just start looking for more convenient and secure ways of performing simple transactions. Mm-hmm. And, and this was over yes. the space of maybe two or three months. 
Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's also an important, a very important social dimension to be considered. So in what I just described, the, poor, the pre-Bretton Woods era, the post-Bretton Woods era, and the post-Petrodollar era resulted in distinct socio-economic changes. The crypto era would result in the same, um, in my view, mainly from a government standpoint, from the perspective that governments that we've, we've been used to, all governments, we've been used to the concept of governments um, issuing money and controlling the money supply. Um, cryptocurrency is largely outside of that paradigm. Right, um, the state. One of my one of my favorite um, books, the sovereign individual. The author said in that um, the government derives its power from two things: two monopolies, a monopoly on violence and a monopoly on money production. Um, violence through the police force and whatnot, um, money production from central banks. If the money production is function no longer rests with the state, then it raises interesting social questions. Um, taxes, for one, social services, social security. Um, so all of these social issues are things that invariably would arise um, in this new crypto era. Hmm. <laughs> what? There's a, a, a my fear has uh, evolved into something of more akin to fascination mm-hmm. because simple things and well you know I the fella I trying to keep it as ground level as street level as possible with this thing. <laughs> you try to get money from somebody in the states or somebody in UK etc. and you have to either go through wire transfers. Oh, the moneygrams and the Western unions, you lining up in the grocery or outside a pharmacy, etc., to go through these procedures for people to approve a financial transaction versus having a digital wallet that allows somebody to immediately transfer funds that you have immediate access to. Mm-hmm. That has to be scary to both the governments and the central bank. Yeah has to be right mm-hmm. because now how are you going to tax me for something that you literally had no input control c mm-hmm. management yeah. right if i trade in if i if i do um, a logo for somebody in the states now what you're relying on is mm-hmm. my track record of that transaction and my honesty in that mm-hmm. track record to say well all right i'm going to pay taxes on income yep Capital controls is a real thing. So globally, there are approximately 160 currencies, individual currencies. Now, in 160 currencies, there are probably a handful of currencies that it could actually use from country to country. The US dollar being the main one, the pound, euro. That's really about it. Right, all other currencies you currently use outside of a country. If I take TT anywhere in the world, I cannot use that. 
right? It is it is useless. So this concept of saleability of money through like a crypto asset that is a bearer asset that you hold and you own and you could take across borders seamlessly, easily and escape capital controls. It's a really groundbreaking concept from a societal standpoint, you know? You know, as we're talking about that, my mind had gone to the bunch of conversation about capital flights mm-hmm. and, um, you know, persons who are uh, being perceived, maybe, that they're holding a lot of their foreign currencies in different banks and different institutions mm-hmm. outside of China and Tobago, and we have to find a way to scrape some of that back into the country in a situation mm-hmm. where you have uh, digital currencies, which is where we're heading. How is mm-hmm. governments going to be able to um, to be able to perform those sorts of services and to get that sort of money back to the country in terms of um, what they think is their due? It, it become almost difficult or almost impossible. I, I, am I mm-hmm. correct in terms of how I'm thinking about it? Um, yeah, the, the the main tool that governments have is regulation. So they could outright ban it. They can make it illegal, right? Um, like Bitcoin at a fundamental level, Bitcoin is black market money, right? It is not white market money. It is black market money by definition. It is money outside of the state. Right, and the state could, of course, enforce regulation that make these things difficult. But I mean, for any technology, this is a, a new technology, is like Pandora's box. The better approach, in my opinion, for governments is, and individual companies is to see how they could use these new and emerging assets to augment government services and make their services better. So for instance, um, we have a lot of state-owned enterprises, um, central bank and whatnot. What if central bank would, as at, as its asset base, all central, all central banks buy things like US treasuries, right? Um, why not if something like Bitcoin would be become a premier digital bearer asset akin to digital gold? Why not hold Bitcoin in the central bank balance sheet? And there are countries that are actively doing this. El Salvador is one of those countries. Yep. Yeah. So you need to, you can't fight the technologies. A good analogy is um, the internet and Estonia. Back in the early 90s, Estonia saw the possibility of the internet. Now Estonia, not blessed with any kind of natural resources, nothing special about them, except that they had a policy in the early 90s where they embraced the internet and digital. Today, they are one of the most digitally advanced countries in the world and through digitization, they were able to increase their GDP much, much faster than they would have otherwise. So we need to, at the level of the state and the level of individual banks, look to see how these 
products, these digital tools could be integrated. Companies need to look at treasury strategies that incorporate Bitcoin as a treasury asset. As an example, um, a company that is doing just that, which is a publicly traded company in the US is um, MicroStrategy, which is a software company. Today, they own over $5 billion worth of Bitcoin and they started accumulating in 2020 and they see it as a treasury asset and they're building products around Bitcoin. So it, it's to incorporate these technologies to use them because we it's it's not going away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With a while them fellas pondering, I <laughs> I will tell all you. Over the past couple months, right, the reason I've shifted position is because one I get exposed to better information. Right. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Anthony, for contributing to that. I could leave my house. Book um, a ride share, go to certain places, order food, conduct transactions, collect and come back home without touching my wallet, without mm-hmm. literally touching a, a, a dollar bill, without touching legal tender. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine the ease of doing business that and it's something we desperately need as a nation. But you could imagine how much easier it would be to walk into a government facility to perform a transaction when the person that you're dealing with could execute this transaction without you having to leave to go to a teller to do a cash mm-hmm. transfer because the link's machine is working or because mm-hmm. the cash are on lunch. Mm-hmm. Right? What does it is there's there's and there's a huge advantage and a huge competitive advantage to us a nation that has so many things in place on paper but is poorly executed and adhered to like the opportunities for improvement right there right there right there it's in conversation with people when i started here about people who own who have businesses registered in estonia and i think to myself well how did that come about and now i have a better understanding estonia estonia took in front um, and I mean, in some countries, the the status quo and the operation of the state is by design. Um, one of uh, favorite authors, um, economist by the name of Murray Rothbard, in a book called Anatomy, or an essay called Anatomy of the State, he described the state essentially and the bureaucrats of the state essentially as like a bureaucratic nobility class. Much much like the nobility class of like the the Middle Ages and whatnot, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And in some states, that bureaucratic nobility class, they must be maintained for the governments to maintain their power. And transparency is not something that contributes to the betterment of this bureaucratic nobility class. Efficiency doesn't either, you know. So, in some countries, it's by design. You know, that is an interesting point, and I want to ask Aaron because I know he, as a finance professional, he looks at these things within the firm. 
from from what you have been seeing Iran, do you see these technologies not necessarily bitcoin in this particular case but let's say digitization and the whole big data revolution all those things making things like fraud detection and a number of things that finance professionals care about you see that being a lot easier for you from where you sit right honestly to, i am torn with this huh? because mm-hmm. this is a very ticklish topic for me from since the last episode i i wouldn't say that i've been against cryptocurrency and things like that but i do understand the importance of of accepting that big data and data being the next thing yes right so from the aspect of data collection being beneficial to detection of fraud or irregular transactions in businesses and things like that I will openly and willingly accept that. I look forward to something like that because it would become easier for you to pick up that here we're going on. If up if 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 the expense trail is going this way fast thing all the time, but all of a sudden you just see a mm-hmm. it could pick up faster. Mm-hmm. Things like that I will willingly accept. Let However, me ask you, um in terms of being able to detect like anomalies and whatnot from a transaction perspective you think that that should be extended to the level of the state so in corporations so corporations will have that ability for their transactions and whatnot um, banks and whatnot but should the state not also be able to do that Carlo, you want to you want to answer that question for me <laughs> I, I i have expounded enough and you know, so I you you do your thing, you do your thing. You are yeah, you are Mr. Snuggles handle this. Is water wet? I believe so. That, that, that's that. the that's the answer to the question right there. Because for me, one of my major principles and issues that I have with the current the current legislature and the current setup of governments, not just in Trinidad, but around the world, is the lack of general accountability. Mm-hmm. So you will put forward a budget, and let's just use Trinidad as a, Trinidad as an example. You put forward a budget with eighty percent of it, and as a matter of fact, no, like go even more specific. Let's put Tobago as the example. You put a budget of two point eight five million dollars in allocation towards Tobago in a budget, where two point six five is recurrent expenditure, but you don't know of that recurrent expenditure, how much is actually going to be used as recurrent expenditure or actual and factual as JL would say, recurrent expenditure. Because that could just... Go ahead. Well, let me refine the question a bit. So Mm -hmm. there's public funds, which you're describing, and there's private funds. Should governments be able to analyze and view yeah um private transactions so what you described is all (laughs) funds the public funds so you're looking at that if the government should be able to see if i gain money from jobs i do in miami just so yeah yeah so like a digital currency so a government digital currency a cbdc um Um, for me i think that's a 50 50 call 
Because to an extent, if I have a business and I have to pay taxes, taxes should be declared based on actual income. But if you're not able to track the income because it's being earned through cryptocurrency payments, that leaves a whole amount of income that is not being able to be taxed. Mm-hmm. But if it's a personal thing where my family sending money to me, my mother sending money to me because I'm in university, mm-hmm. fair game. No, yeah. I, I, I have an interesting take on that. Right now, the idea of taxes, that's a whole other Japanese. But if I'm paying VAT, if I am paying taxes on the things that I consume, should I have to pay taxes on the money that I earn? If um, if the money that I'm going to spend already has a percentage dedicated to taxes. Um, Caro, as much as I, I, I understand that question, as a business owner, mm-hmm. businesses have a, an, a duty to pay taxes right that's a responsibility of our op- operating business yeah but why because that's a responsibility of business no, yes I mean you're like... paying VAT. yes you are yes you the individual or the business may be paying vat but that is not a business related tax in terms of on profit or revenue generated all right so the business is going to be using energy it's going to occupy land it's going to be conducting transactions, etc. Mm-hmm. Right. So what you tell me is that a business should by right, and I don't mean in practice, I mean by right, just because you have a business, you have to give a chunk of your money to the country that you're doing business in to cover whatever unforeseen costs or undeclared costs in terms of you know opportunity costs and you know employment, etc. 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 I'm not saying that a business should just drop in a country, right? free but what i'm looking at is as an individual right if i am earning income from a a, let me say a a secondary stream of income a private jobs you know a side hustle or hobby that take off right i'm already paying taxes land tax income tax vat anyway yeah um i'm gonna make this brief if I'm already paying taxes as an individual and I'm incurring additional income from a source that is unrelated to the government, I should have to pay on that because now that's a business. Once it's registered. But if it's not, well, then where's my incentive to register? Anyway, and I think I think that's a perfect place to pop in before we bring in the next guest, Ricardo. Yeah, I cool, cool. We could start with that question, but I not joking. I serious. I I want to continue conversations with Anthony. You know, <laughs> I just put it out there. I said it the last time, and I'm gonna answer it again. Right? Anytime, man. this was good. It had room for another head in that logo, you know. <laughs> we appreciate your time. I yeah, believe we should um pick up and continue again. I, I think yeah. we have more because you're, you're stirring the pot. You're stirring mm-hmm. the pot now. It's not like we don't have conversations one side, but your your, your contribution is you know moving it yeah. um in a particular direction. And I appreciate your friend, brother. Keep up the good work. Yeah, man. Thank you.
And thanks for having me. Yeah. So we'll chat hopefully again soon. Take care, gents.